live on Just Watch Show as usual. Listen in live, everyone, and we have an amazing show for you today. It's a special show out of the norm, and we're going to be talking to Gabrielle Carlton. Of course, Matt Forrest is going to give us his tip of the day for youth and actually everyone at the end of the show. But Gabrielle Carlton is a well-known global clothing designer, and she's going to talk with us about South Africa and where South Africa was when she was there and where South Africa is now. And why are we focusing on South Africa? Because South Africa is sort of like the heartbeat of the world. And we are getting ready for a dynamic show today. So, guys, put on your seatbelts, get ready to go, because we're ready to rock. going to bring on my co-host, Mr. Jay Logan. Hello, hello. Hey, Jay. Hey, Jay. Hey. Yes. How are you today? I'm doing great out here. It's so... Uh... It's a little overcast. We're getting a little rain in, but uh, we need it. I'm doing wonderful. Oh, that is so good. Jay, let's go right on in today. What's going on with the news, guys? What's happening today? Well, what's what's happening today is uh, the RIAA chief and the ISPs are starting to police copyrights. They want to start uh, pretty much uh, getting all the piracy out and exposing some of these pirates that are downloading movies and music for free. And they're, they have gotten together with uh, Comcast and Cablevision and Verizon and Time Warner uh, to start a pack. Sorry about that, Jay. We had a technical difficulty. Please go ahead. Yes, well, uh, like I said, the... Uh, the ISPs, Internet Service Providers, and the RAA, um, are start, they're getting together to start policing the Internet and um, stopping some of these illegal downloading uh, corporates that download movies, software, and, of course, music. You know, like every time they download music, you know, it just takes a penny out of my pocket. But they're going to get together starting July 12, 2012, and they get these different programs to start policing and uh, finding some of these pirates and stopping some of the stuff that's going on on the Internet, which is, could be good and it could be bad. You've got to find out. The reason why I say it could be good or bad is because basically they're going to be going into people's private matters when they start discovering people are downloading. They're going to start going into people's computers. I don't know if people are going to like that, you know, looking for downloaded material, material on your hard drive uh, through uh, SpyBots, which is SpyBots are little uh, little uh, programs that come into your computer and they come looking around in your computer and they find illegal stuff. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but uh, this is going to start July 12th, and this is the first time that uh, the Recording Industrial Association of America and the ISPs have gotten together and became a team to start uh, doing something about piracy. Interesting. Well, I'm going to go right into another issue since it's, it's a very sensitive topic and it's kind of going right into what we're going to be dealing with today with um, Gabrielle Carlson. You've heard about the Coney video, Jay. It, the Coney video is about Joseph Coney who was with um, an organization called LRA, which is a Wars Resistance Army in Uganda. 
And there, the Invisible Children nonprofit group made this amazing video showing what people in Uganda went through. But again, I think sometimes when we make videos of other people, whether it's Yugoslavia, Bosnia, or any other country, we sometimes have to remember to let the people from the country tell the story, even though we may mean well. You know what I mean? And a lot of people are really, really upset about the fact that in Uganda, about the way their, you know, their story is being depicted, especially a town called Lira, where the atrocities were the worst that uh, apparently Joseph Kony had left. Here's the thing, though. It, it's like, you know, we all have a right to create what we want to create and tell our story the way we do. But sometimes I think that, you know, we think that if we get hit by a car, it's different than when a child is made a child. So it's very different. They've seen things that we could never wish to see. I think somebody, some people would rather get hit by a car. But anyway, nonetheless, what has come about is that the people of Uganda are angry and there's starting to be a little bit of uprising going on in Uganda as a result of this video. Now, Invisible Children did try to rectify the situation by saying that their tactics they used, they didn't see anything wrong with they were actually trying to help. And I believe they are trying to help. But sometimes people, um, people should not take it that way. You know, um, I know that The Hague, which is over in, in, uh, in Holland, is trying to catch Joseph Coney. He's the top on the list. So we don't know who Joseph Coney is, and I, and I don't feel it's right for us to even make judgments of Joseph Coney because we don't, you know, we see what we see, but we don't know what anybody has dealt with. So I think that Uganda should be allowed to handle Uganda's situation the way they want to handle it. So, you know, that's my my part of the news. What's, what's next for you, Mr. J? Well, we know uh, about these search engines. Uh, Google is uh, feeling, I think they're feeling a little heat, but they decided Google is planning to do a major revamp of their search engine. And they're using something called the metric or some type of uh, algorithm. And this is going to take a period of probably a couple of years, but they started to um, add these different parts of their search engine so where the search engine will search a little bit better so they can stay in competition with the other search engines. So um, they have announced that they're going to start uh, introducing this new technology um, and, uh, and, 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 and probably update their search engine so it becomes so stays number one. So we're going to see wow. in the future what this is going to do. You know, it's like I use Google search engine anyway. works fine for me, and I'm not, I don't plan on changing, but I guess there's always something new. Yeah, you know, I, I tell you, it is, I tell you, it, it, there is always something new. You know, I'm going to go to the next topic, Jay, about something that was really uh, kind of cool. You know, I've gone from Coney now to something less, you know, more fun, <laughs> like you went to search engines. So Rubio, who's known for um, Angry Birds, they decided to team up with MTV, the coolest thing, okay, around cyberbullying. So... Apparently, and I'm a, I'm a big, I know I'm, a, I'm an adult, but I love Angry Birds. So now there's something called Angry Birds Space Players. We'll unlock a secret, <laughs> golden, a secret golden egg level when they support MTV's A Thin Line campaign, which is fighting against digital abuse, bullying, and discrimination. Okay? Now, the whole cool thing about this is, um, you know, they said that this is a place where they could really connect with young people to make a difference, all right? That's what, you know, MTV has said. And, you know, a thin line campaign sounds like it's really a cool thing. And they also have um, 
something called the Draw the Line app, uh, which is at uh, the head of MTV's campaign. It, you know, it plots the positive steps you commit to on a map of the U.S. The, the map lets you see which regions are most active and connect with other campaigners near you. So they really are trying to come together and make a difference. And the idea behind the PSA is that if you interview and inter intervene and come to the aid of someone being bullied, that behavior will stop. That's, that's what they mean. And I think in a way, you know, when you know you're publicly being a part of a campaign, it will make a bully stop. And, you know, this is what Matthew Forrest, America's team of steam machine that, you know, connects with us together every week on a show, often talks about that bullying perspective, you know. And this is a way for globally that we can connect because, you know, Angry Birds, who doesn't want to play with Angry Birds, okay? You know, so that's, right. uh, that, that's part of it. So I think he has a, a, a big special surprise, Jay, that you're about to announce that person coming on. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's good. So we got we got our guest coming on. Are you ready for her? I think so, Jay. Are you? Yes, I am. So let's introduce her. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our wonderful guest, Gabrielle Carson, clothing designer. And let's celebrate Clothing designers from a uh, clothing designer from South Africa who has well-respected clothing designing company in New York City. Gabrielle, well, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so excited, Gabrielle, to have you on. I must tell you, I share that excitement with you hugely. So, Really? Well, you know, we're so glad. And, Gabrielle, you know, it, as we know, you hail from South Africa. You, you know, you have a thriving business here in New York City, and you grew up, you know, during apartheid, and then you came over. And we wanted to start with knowing. It, it, well, first of all, Gabrielle, can we go right into things with you? Is that okay, my Absolutely. dear? Absolutely. Please do. Oh, I'm eager to start now. And we <laughs> wanted to start with knowing. What does life like for you growing up during the time during your time in South Africa as a young girl? Well, um but it was conflicted. Really? Okay. Yeah, because um there's a wonderful movie called The World Apart and um it's written about a journalist who worked with my mom and my dad, her name was Ruth First, and she was killed by a book bomb, which was something that the apartheid forces would distribute to those people they considered a threat to the system. Um, my father received one of those, but it did not go off. Hers did. And her daughter has written this play, and they've created this movie called A World Apart, which details what it's like growing up in South Africa in the apartheid era to parents who are very political. Um, and part of their politics is to keep their kids very well out of the process. It comes from the fear that if the kids are hauled in, if they don't know anything, they don't know anything. And, of course, kids always know what's going on. If they don't know, they have a strong sense. So um, although it was tremendous concern on the part of the parents to keep everything under wraps, you know, children are present to what's happening. 
And so, um, on the one hand, as a white South African growing up, I'm concerned as to why my friends can't come over my house and play. I'm concerned why, when I go to school, I'm singled out by those children whose parents were part of the system and saw no need to rock the boat. Um, those kids might want to beat up on me, or those kids let it be known that you know there's something wrong with me. I'm certainly not like everyone else who's going to school. So there's an anger that I'm feeling. Whatever my parents are doing, it's such that I don't get to be like everyone else or I'm accepted with everyone else. On the other hand, if I go someplace with one or both of my parents, if it's a restaurant, the waiters in the restaurant are going to find a way of signaling to us that they so appreciate the work my parents are doing in a way that's very moving and makes all the difference in the world. So I refer very much to this movie because it's a piece of work. It's an art form responding to exactly what you ask. And I identify with it very strongly because at the end of the movie, um, they are present, the mother and her daughter, at Steve's funeral. General, I have a question for you, and thanks very much. I wanted to ask you, um, what was it like to be in school with the youngsters during that time. Like when you were going to school with these kids, also, right? Yeah. So, what was it like? You know, you're afraid to come home. Uh, people might beat you up. How did you How did you deal with that? What was it like being in school? Going back and forth to school and stuff. Well, um, you know, as a kid, whatever it is is whatever it is, and you deal with it because that's the world you're in, and you got to deal. So. I had friends whom I loved very much, and I understood that many of them couldn't and wouldn't come to my house because then the security police would visit their parents. Um, Yeah. South Africa during the apartheid years was one scary, scary, scary place to be. Um, um, It really was a police state, and it was heavily armed and extremely, extremely and brutally repressive, and they didn't like those white South Africans who stood up against the system. They ran them out, they killed them, they did whatever they had to do to keep doing what they had in mind to do. So it wasn't fun to be a kid of parents who were in that category. On the other hand, you know, there would be those moments where you'd be so proud of your parents that, you know what, if you had to go to school and fight somebody off or whatever or whatever, you had the wherewithal to do it. Well, you know, Gabrielle, speaking of that, one of the things I'd like to ask you, you know, I heard you say that there was a woman that was working with your you know, your mom and dad around um, working around, you know, working with your mom and dad during apartheid and, you know, to play her daughter wrote. I would like to know, were your parents involved in apartheid very heavily? Oh, sure. My father was on the team of lawyers who represented Nelson Mandela and at one point Winnie Mandela. My father himself was a lawyer to the degree that it was due to him that the forced farm labor was ended. He exposed that. It was an amazing movie with Samuel Jackson and Julian Moore that took place around that situation. And my mom was very active in the Black Sass, which is also a very political body of women who um, had a network and were so closely in touch that each time a new and very repressive law was passed, 
those women that very night and certainly the next day would be on the streets wearing their black sashes, their black gloves, their black glasses, with big posters they'd spent all night making, which were uniform, which protested that law and made sure that everyone knew about it. So, yeah, uh, my parents were amongst those people who were like, hell no. How did it, how did it affect you personally, having your parents involved in a part how did this, How did it, that affect you? Well, it was a mixed bag because a lot of the times you wouldn't know the details. You just knew that there was stuff going on at your house that sure as hell wasn't going on at too many other people's. And so, it, you know, it was a mixed, that's why I say conflicted, because every kid wants their parents to be, you know, in line with everyone else's. At the same time, I was very proud of what my folks were up to. I didn't get to see as much of them as I would have liked because they were very busy doing what they were doing, and it took most of their lives doing that. But, you know, I I love them. I love them still. And when you have that, you you there's a trust that comes with that. You may not have all the information, and you may fight to have more of it because you want to know what's going on and why growing up is even harder than it might be otherwise. But by the same token... You know, I wouldn't have had him doing anything else. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot of people who are willing to take a stand the extent to which they did. You lose a lot. And in a situation where whites were probably the most privileged people on the face of the planet, you know, second only to some very, very wealthy Americans, they enjoyed a standard of living that just went unparalleled. So in the face of what was there to partake of, for them to say, oh, my God, no, no, and join with other people who were saying that too, was an act of courage and entailed a being willing to give up a lot for what they felt was the right thing to do and living that out until they were thrown out. I would like to ask you one other thing. During the time your father represented Nelson Mandela or Will or uh, Winnie Mandela, was it dangerous for you personally, Gabrielle? You know, I... Um, it's not because I mean to be frustrating, but I throw the I throw the attention off of myself because when you're living in a situation like that, you're living in danger, and that's a given. You're just living in danger. But there are so many people who are likewise living in danger who are suffering so much more than I did that I feel ashamed to draw attention to whether I was in danger, whether I had a difficult time, in the overall picture, in the context of what was happening, it's 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 the least of what was going on. What I learned was the world was categorically not a safe place to be in. And how old were I, you? How old were you when you left uh, South Africa? I uh, turned thirteen here in New York. Wow. Yeah. You know, wow. And let me ask you something. You know, 13 years old, coming into New York. Uh, I want to just go back to that question. I'm sorry we interrupted you, uh, Gabrielle. Not at all. When you, said, when you said it was dangerous for you, you don't like to, I think it's important for our audience to know because it's through your eyes as a child being in apartheid during that time because we're going to come to you, you know, leaving South Africa in a second. But I want to go back to that because, 
through your eyes as a child, seeing all of that stuff going on, you know what I mean? Just seeing all of it going on will give us an opportunity to see what other children see when their nation is in uproar. Can you just share with, with us what it was like and was it dangerous for you while you were in South Africa? What that was like for you? Well, sure. I remember eyes. one night that my folks were out and the house was bombed. The house was bombed. The cars were shut up. I mean, shot up. And there I am. I have um, a sister and two brothers, and I'm the eldest, and I'm like, holy shit. We can't even call the police because that's more like it's not who did it. So, you know, there we are, and this is going on, and um, yeah, that's scary. Or leaving the house and making sure you look every which way before you do, or dodging this and dodging that on the way to school, or getting beat up at school, or wanting to stay out of the way of people who might do that, but by the same token, wanting to put up a good fight because you're not going to take me down for how funky my parents are. I might think I'm so, but you call them something, you got me to deal with. So, yeah, it was, wow. it had, it was a very scary, scary place. And, um, you know, it was a very scary place. But I think that children are terrified growing up in any repressive regime that's a brutal regime that is filled with people who brutally hate other people and are liable to take that out on anyone of any age. And um, so I was one of many kids who was growing up in a very frightening place at a very frightening time. Wow. And I will say that because of that, people were connected in very different ways than I've experienced anywhere else ever. I think the connection that people shared with one another, um, Africans, um, well, we were all Africans, but white South Africans and every other African living in South Africa, um, not counting the people who simply went with the flow of the way it was and enjoyed their privileges, um, but the people who were cognizant of what was going on and took a stand against it faced a very frightening time. Wow. And that brings me to the next question. You know, Jay had already asked you how old you were when you left South Africa, so my question for you is how was it for you transitioning over here from South Africa, you know, schools to New York City school? You know, you just left a house bombing, okay? You just saw all of that. You're the oldest sister and here now you come to a new country. Before we even get into that, how did you get out of South Africa? Was it with ease or was it hard for you guys to get out? Well, it's um, they came from my father's passport. At that time, the Kennedy administration was in place over here, and that administration was very supportive of all of the anti-apartheid efforts and movements. And so one of the things that they would do is, is when my father had a trial, and he's written, he wrote an incredible book called No Neutral Ground, which pretty much says all of it. But um, when he had a trial, he would come over here and make sure that there was press and people of importance, visible people of importance, people who, had, people who could make a difference and would be sure to speak out about what they saw were present at the trial so there would be no hangings and that people would not, there wouldn't be so many deaths in detention, okay? 
So he was used to traveling a great deal, gathering this support in heaven at present and speaking out about what was going on in places where they needed to know. And so the day they came for his passport, he was like, oh, I don't have it on me today. Can I bring it by tomorrow? He left the country that night, and he tells a pretty harrowing story about it. Wow. Um, and then when the story broke, um, my mom, he went to London and went on TV and in the newspapers to make a big thing so that the family would not be taken into detention. And as a result, my mom was given a couple of weeks to pack up and move and told she could not take anything with her. Wow. And so we arrived here. So how and, was it for you, trans- when you arrived here and as a 13-year-old, how was it for you transitioning over here from South Africa school to now New York City school after just leaving almost being bombed? I felt like an idiot. I mean, seriously. From the moment we arrived here, I was like, where are we? You know, at the airport, we had tea because no one in South Africa at that time really drank coffee. They didn't have tea bags. They didn't have sliced bread. They didn't have TV. And the movies that did come into the country were so censored and cut that you were really living in a garden with four walls. If you didn't go out of your way to receive information, you weren't getting any other than the way it was as they wanted you to know it. So when I arrived here, the scale of everything was so big. Four people in my family could share one sandwich. We'd never seen so much packed between two slices of bread ever. Even the teaspoons were so much bigger. The escalators were three floors high. But what freaked me out was there were, what had me really confused was I didn't know where I'd landed because there was so much that was contradictory all over the place. I was fascinated by New York City. We stayed with a family that my parents had worked with their parents who were also South African for the first couple of weeks we were here. And so I'd grown up with their kids, and we were familiar with one another, but I had never seen things like I saw. When I went to Washington Square Park and I saw people smoking, talking about the government in the open, um, this and the war that was going on, um, I had never seen so many different kinds of people together at a gathering that wasn't getting busted up talking as freely as they did about the things they were talking about. Then we went to Long Island because my mom is not a city lady, and for the first time in her life she had four kids, so her first thought was to get us into schools. And um, South African friends of hers had found a place for the family to rent, and we went to school where nobody wore uniforms, and people wore, like, T-shirts and had their hair loose and were, like, saying bad things about the government, and it was totally different. I don't know about half the things that people were talking about. I didn't know. I went to, first of all, my mom didn't know how to send us to school. Like, what do you wear to go to school in a place where you want to show respect? Okay, and then no uniforms. So if you can imagine, it's now 1971. I'm going to school in my lace tights, my best dress, and my hair put up in a ponytail. I'm walking into a class where people are outside smoking weed, have no shoes, have T-shirts and jeans and beads, and I'm like, this is so not right. 
So the first day, I hold out my brothers and sisters, and we said to my mom, until we get jeans and T-shirts, we're not going back there. Because what you sent us in, it's not going to help. Then, although I spoke the same language, English as everyone else, it was real different. I didn't know what a homeroom was. It was way different. People were like, I just, I was like, the first class I'm in is health. The guy wants me to stand up and talk about the pill. I run out of the class. I I find a phone box. I dial my mom, and I'm like, what is that? She was like, where are you? And I was like, in school. (laughs) So there were like cultural differences, some of which were humorous, that the whole family went through. But the biggest change for me was when I came to the city. I just hadn't seen that many people together, like freely together. I hadn't seen people that expressive openly ever. Gabrielle, I wanted to know, what do you think kids can learn from one another in South Africa and the United States? What can we learn um, for both um, countries? What can kids learn from one another? Well, I think the most important thing that kids here, not all kids, but many mm-hmm. kids can learn from being in South Africa is what it's like to grow up without so much and yet, in a funny kind of way, have a lot more than peop- than kids here, who ha- many of whom, many of whom, not all, have so much and are without so much. When we grew up in South Africa, um, there was no TV. So you kind of played outside of yourself physically with other kids all the time. You were kind of like, you played. Kids here look so grown up so early and don't really have a time to be kids doing a lot of the things that we did. When I first went to a party here, I thought everyone was majorly on quaaludes. Because <laughs> there, we're outside, there's usually a bright place, which is you cook a lot of stuff on the fire, you're dancing, it's going on. There is no TV. There are very few movies that anyone wants to see because it's been so chopped up. So it's like no one's on mute. People are like active, they are with each other. There's a different quality of being together. A lot of that quality is underscored by the fact that it's apartheid South Africa, so that all blacks are connected with each other at all times, because they face so much repression at any given moment. It's insane. So, of course, they are communicative. It was kind of like a bushfire communication went on at all times. Now, wow. yeah, it's you know, different. You're together differently. It's like, it's like I recently read The Help, and the degree to which blacks in Mississippi had a community in common and knew what was going on and were with each other took me so back to South Africa. Because I spent a lot of the time with the woman who, who brought me up, okay? And when I was a baby, she'd tie me on her back, and I'd go with her to her village because, you know, my mom would be gone. So I'd be with this woman wherever. I got to see a very wow. different side of being in South Africa than many of my white friends. You know, it's like... But there was a being with each other in a situation that doesn't exist here in the same way because here the concept of me is such a big deal. It's replaced being politically aware in a funny kind of way. It's like it's all about what you need, what you can have, how you feel, bullshit, as opposed to being awake and alive and alert to what's going on. Well, you know, it's funny, Gabrielle, because there is an, a, a well-known Sony uh, and Grammy Award-winning uh, artist by the name of Lyra. 
I met Lura during a conference in France at Medem, okay? I was taken in by her music and the words of her music. You know, she says, there's a song she says, I want to feel good like only a mother could. I want to hold a child, you know. And she was talking about her country, South Africa. And you know I'm very passionate about South Africa. I feel it's the heartbeat of the world. And she's, you know, for people like yourself who've laid the groundwork for children and you've come here and you don't realize you've also laid the groundwork for children, there's a way that South Africa comes together. And when I hear Lyra sing, and when she and I connected, being from two different worlds, okay, um, mm-hmm. it was it was amazing because now this is a woman who's going to bring together, on top of the heels of what you and your father and your mother went through, she's going to bring to bring together the heels of the world together. She's one of the most prolific singers that has ever existed. She's not just a singer, but she's a spokesperson, I think, for all of human mankind. That's the and I'm not placing that burden on her as much as I'm saying that's who she is. And she can only she could not have done that unless you were the foundation makers of building mankind from South Africa, where people could come together and fighting for a cause. Okay, not just South Africa's cause, but everyone's cause. And the way I'm speaking, people might come on our show, our listeners, you may be thinking, oh, it's you know, it's just like everything else. No. You have to understand that apartheid for Gabrielle and people like Lyra was not something, you know, easy that you just dealt with. So that brings me to the next question, uh, um, Gabrielle. As adults, what can we learn from one another in South Africa and the United States and globally for that matter? What can we learn from that situation of apartheid? Because South Africans came together. My question is, was this like 9-11? you know, when the only time you saw New Yorkers come together, what can we learn? What teach us something here that we can learn? That the possibility of putting aside differences, profound differences, the way that it happened in South Africa when Mandela was elected and people went to vote, the fact that you would have standing in the same line Afrikaners who were... South Africans of Dutch, German uh, origin, and blacks and English ancestry South Africans. It didn't matter. Everyone came together around the possibility of a new way of being, of a new time, of a new leader, and the end of something that had terrorized people for for way too long. And I think that coming together, the way it happened at the elections in South Africa, is one of the greatest moments in terms of what's possible for people anytime, anywhere, if they can draw on themselves enough to be that big. Because people are not apart from one another. People, people, people are, there's a tribe of people. And it doesn't, I mean, of course there are cultural differences. It goes without saying. I speak about what it was like to come here from South Africa as if I was a friggin' alien. It was way different in every shape or form. But at the end of the day, there's a commonality that underscores those differences. It's the making us seem different that, that, that becomes the platform for creating some people as the enemy. It, mm-hmm. it's, none of that's real. People are people are people are people. And we have more in common with one another than 
all of the differences that serve to separate us. Yeah. Well, I wanted to know. I wanted to know. Moving up to the future, how does your experiences help you choose what you're doing for a living today? Um, when I was in South Africa, um, I spent a lot of time with women, with other young girls, um, with little girls, and I always wanted to make them beautiful. I specifically wanted to make them feel beautiful since they lived such terrible lives and were anguished and suffering and demeaned and dissed 24-7. To dress somebody and give them something that on some level there's something unviable, that is their very own, that is intact, that is a sense of self and a sense of one's worth and a value in who one is, if I can dress someone to look in the mirror and awaken to something about herself that the bleakest of situations could not have touched, then that's a great thing to do. It's something yeah. to give. And that's, no, that's what I, that's what I seek to do. Well, I want to tap into something here, Gabrielle, that you shared. You know, I heard you say something, too. I want to know if you becoming a clothing designer has anything to do with also when you said your mom came here and she now had four children to dress for school and here you are on your Sunday's fast and you see someone smoking weed. Did you feel like, oh, my God, you know, I have to really now also, now you have the idea from South Africa, but now... You know what? I'm looking at how my mom dressed me and my sisters and my brothers. I think I, you know, maybe I need to see how other people may have that same issue of finding their own identity. Did that school situation also, like, even solidify more of what you wanted to do? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, you know, when I got a little older, the need to dress myself was crucial because I didn't fit in many of the pieces that my contemporaries were wearing. I had a different kind of body. Um, It was heinous. And it was only when I took on dressing myself in a way that I could deal with, okay, this is who it is, and start to have some expression of that. I think how one dresses oneself is an essential communication of being. It's what we announce about ourselves. It's it's how we're first read. You can see at a glance if someone has dressed themselves or they have put clothes on because there's a real big difference if you, to me, there's a real big difference being with or looking at or the way we read a thousand million trillion people just walking around the streets or the subways or the buses or whatnot of Manhattan. Someone who's thrown clothes on and is covered is different than someone who's put something together about themselves and wants you to know this is how they are or is dressing for themselves to feel, okay, I'm ready to step up. I'm not saying everyone does or needs to feel that way, but for those people who want to be, who want to communicate something about how they are or who they are, how they dress it is a definitely potent vehicle for expression. Yeah, we're reading people like... left, right, and center long before we hear them say anything. They're talking. And well, I... so I think dressing is, is oh, it's, I hold it to be key. 
I have one last key. It's a way of reaching in and pulling out and saying this is who it is. I have one last question. Well, we have two last questions for you. But this is one, and then Jay and I have one for you together. Um, So this, you know, um, I wonder if this is the beauty. This is what I say is the beauty of South Africa. Uh, Lyra, I I, I intend that you and Lyra will come together because when I met Lyra, one of the things that she said, she dresses beautifully, and she said, I believe that what you feel on the inside should emanate on the outside. Yes, agreed. And she said, because sometimes we don't feel great on the inside. And but we want to we want to show a fake face. So she said, I look at when I dress usually on the outside, it, it it makes me feel good so that I can make a difference with others. So you know, I think that this is synonymous with what you're saying. And so yes. this is where Jay and I have a question for you. And you know, Jay and I would like to know what is that question, Jay? Uh, we want yes. to know what do you want to what, what, what do you want what do you want to leave without worrying about your message. That's your <laughs> Wait, say it again. Ask me again. Okay. <laughs> um, Jay, go right ahead. You, you do the honors. Gabrielle, what do you want to leave with our audience as your message? My message is I think it's real important that women in particular take themselves on as accountable, as their very best friends, as beautiful, as beautiful more than anything, because I think that's the most difficult thing to feel and the most important place to come from. Because I think when you have a very warm and potent sense of oneself, you are strong enough to give so much to whomever, and you can generate immensely. And I think to to take oneself to take oneself on and present it lovingly is absolutely where it's at. Wow, wow! And Gabrielle, I know you have to go. But I just need, we want your thirty second to sixty second opinion on the Joseph Coney uh, situation in Uganda. Let me say this. Let me say this. (laughs) What I'd rather talk about is how we could get as many people from here to go where I'm from because I think it'd be the most incredible eye-opener. I don't know, as we were talking, I was remembering when this woman, Mosi Makaleli, who opened up the first aid shelter for women in rural South Africa. So that took phenomenal courage and resilience, considering that the the place where the women gathered was made from oil cans and cardboard, but, but together... And it's now morphed into something more concrete, but it's been going on to this day. And she came here to create an awareness of what she was up to. And we were able to hook her up with Bailey House and with ABC and a bunch of other people who contributed in so many ways. When I took her to Bailey House and introduced her, they were like, well, listen, what can we get you? Like, what kind of computers are you using? And I was like, hello, hello, they need, they need paper. They need pencils. We're talking band-aids. We're talking 
Advil. What are you talking about, computer? There's absolutely no way there's any electricity hooked up. And the disparity between what we took, what we didn't even question having here, it's not new. If you go to any or many impoverished places around the world and you have an exchange, people cannot believe that the folks in the middle of, the folks living in those places have as much going on within themselves and in regards to each other, given how little there is. And it's a major eye-opener that, although it doesn't seem very exciting, is life-changing. So what I want is to touch as many lives over there as I can and to really have there be an exchange where people here get to be there and come back again because I think the more people actually get to live amongst each other, which is as unreal as I don't know what, but it's a heck of a aspiration, the less, you know, folks coming together, and now I'm speaking generally, but those are the kind of things I'm after right now. And and if I were to coin it in a phrase, dressing to make a difference is absolutely what I'm behind. Well, can you say, um, we, we, first of all, Gabrielle, it was an absolute, <laughs> we could have gone longer, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on yes. the show. And, I mean, an absolute pleasure, and we can't wait to share this. And one of the things we'd like to have you say when you, as you say goodbye, could you say goodbye in South African for our, our listeners? Well, now I'm going to say it in English because here's the thing. When I was growing up, I was forcibly taught Afrikaans. If you remember the Sharpeville massacre, what happened was a thousand million school kids went in the streets not wanting to speak that. They wanted to speak their own languages and, of course, got trampled and shot down. Um, So I don't want to speak Afrikaans because, to me, it's not yet a language I can embrace. It's one I accept, but it's not one that I... It's not one I speak. I so South African is so many languages. I'd want to say it in Swazi. I'd want to say it in Kosa. I'd want to. Say, so I'm just going to go with English, because we're out of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank and thank the next so lady that I have the pleasure of dressing is giving me this. I gotta go. Please. No problem. So <laughs> may I you. thank you both? Thank, thank you. you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Well, now we get to bring on the next gentleman, Mr. Matthew Forrest, America's team of steam machine, and Jay Logan and all of us are going to talk a little bit about what Matthew is leaving today for his tip. Matthew, are you there, guys? Mr. Jay, Mrs. Gale, how are we feeling today? We're having an amazing time. Actually, Matt, we had an amazing guest. I'm sure you heard Gabrielle. You know, she was talking today about what about a little bit about bullying. So it was uh, it was a pretty cool show. So we know you've got some really cool stuff to share with us now too. And Matt, before we go on, we've got a, we've got a little news for you today. Nice. Are you ready for it? I was born ready. Okay, then we're going to give it to you. Did you hear <laughs> that a- a- Angry Birds from Rovio? has teamed up with MTV around bullying. It's called the Thin Line Campaign. And when you know, and as a person who's an avid, complete Angry Birds fanatic myself, 
I am kind of happy about the extra level because I don't have to pay for it for my iPad. And I get to make a difference around bullying, too. So just thought you, just thought for a change, we have a little bit of news today with Matthew, too. So go ahead, Mr. America, TNC machine, and, and give it to us for today. Well, that's pretty amazing information. I really appreciate you letting me, uh, making me aware of that. It's, uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's really amazing the the awareness that that comes about when you uh, when you declare to make a change in the world, and it's almost like you ever buy a car and you, you like you, the car was very rare until you bought it. You thought you were one of the first people that had it, and then once you have it, you, all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. <laughs> Or, or right, or right, or you, or you go to a store and you buy, you buy a sweater and you're ah, oh, this is a great sweater. I love it. And stand out. And you go to a party and three other people have it on. <laughs> you know, it's like once once you declare to really make a difference in the world and start doing things to to empower others and and create positive change, all of a sudden we become aware that so much other people are doing it too. And uh, hence us being on this on on this uh, radio station together. Right now, and um, and so the tip tip for the day. I'm going to let that lead me right into right into uh, the tip for the day, and um, and also something that Gabrielle was sharing is um, is the spiritual principle of awareness, and um, you know, for there to be any change in the world or within ourselves, it needs to it, it needs to begin with with a sense of awareness. You know, and awareness being you know, the ability to see clearly what the problem or the shortcoming is at hand um, in, in many situations. In the situations that I've experienced most, the most growth has come to a point of, of complete awareness, and, and that's often the most painful, most painful point of the transition is the awareness of how wrong or how painful or how um, whatever it might be, how extreme how negative the uh, a situation is in Gabrielle's uh sense it was the you know the, the poverty and and the uh, you know and for the and with the awareness of that and or, or or with the bullying like a lot of the work that I do in the high schools and doing speaking in high schools and teen coaching program you know the awareness of you know, a lot of times the the teens that I work with the awareness is that you know that they they feel they don't feel a part of they don't feel connected they don't feel um good enough they don't feel like like they fit in uh they feel they 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 get bullied they get picked on they have low insecurities and it's amazing to come to that point of awareness with any situation because at that point once we're able to identify and become aware and, and really be get clear about what it is that's on the table then we can have a then we have a chance to work with it. But prior to that, which so many people live in the in the place prior to that, the place that's prior to awareness is just confusion, bewilderment, and pain. And so I think awareness is really the touchstone for for um for any change to come about. And so that's asking me my tip for the day is to just to really look within today and become aware put a put a name to something you know it, it, and another thing that was taught to me about awareness is you know people say uh you know how do you feel um 
and people might say, yeah, I feel like I feel like crap. Well, newsflash, crap is not a feeling. <laughs> you understand? So crap is not. There's no awareness there. But if we actually stop and say, well, I feel whatever it might be, that's the awareness. So the tip for the day is to stop, just for a moment, look inside, and become aware of something that that you neglected to, just through not not looking not looking with the intention of looking. And from there, we find things that things become so apparent to us. And then from the point of awareness, we can then create change in our life and the world around us. Yeah. Well, thank Matt, you so much. I, I, I had one question, Gail, for Matt, real quickly. Um, I had a, a teenage guy here in San Francisco, and he asked me to ask you, is there such thing as a bully bullying him, bullying himself? Of course. <laughs> of, of course. I could, uh, <laughs> of course there is. I mean, it's, um, I mean, that can go, let me ask you, was, was, did the kid consider himself a bully, or was he being bullied, or? No, he considered himself a bully, and he, he, he 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 beats he torments and beats he says I beat myself up all the time and I don't know I'm trying to learn how to stop this. So I was, I was wow. wondering is that a such thing? You know so I wanted to stop I'm asking wow. so I can give him an answer. No, I appreciate you get, uh, opening up to me about where where he was at um, and where he was asking that question from because um, <clears throat> yes the answer is definitely yes and um, I can definitely I can definitely relate. I can relate to that, and um, because I mean, self self beat up is um, you know is, is now would he beat himself up mentally or physically? Well, he said he has a poor relationship with his parents. They're always picking on him. They're always talking down to him, and he just doesn't even want to go home. Okay, so he so he basically so it's a, more of a psychological thing than it is he's not like cutting himself or punching himself or burning himself. Yeah, it's uh, well. Not, I think he's cutting himself. I think he's like in that frame of mind, you know. It's okay. really just a it's, bad uh, thing. Yeah, no, it's uh, you know, that's something I I use for. I mean, there's well, the answer to the question is yes. Bullies just they can definitely beat themselves up, and I think self beat up is the reason why people beat other people up because they're not they're not right with the person in the mirror, so they turn around and they try to pull pull other people down with them. And a lot of times, like like we said in the past on the previous show, the saddest part about bullying is that you know the person you know hurt people hurt people, and the person that's bullying other people is actually a victim of bullying themselves one way or another, whether it be at home or through cousins or through you know horrible life experiences that they've gone through or you know so the answer is yes and 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 the what I would say to that to the kid is to begin to replace any of the negative thoughts with uh, with positive ones and and to speak about a situation with some with some uh some people who like like yourself which is huge that he even that he opened up to you about that i mean that's uh that's the hardest part and, uh, so i mean i could definitely relate because i beat myself up for years for years so bad you know, I was I hated myself so bad for so so long, and and it's possibly the worst place to be. And you know, there's definitely ways out. And um, 
you know, and, and, and but it takes work. It takes work to get out of that tailspin of beating ourselves up, you know, and that's that's why I wrote my book. And because you sit down with somebody, you, know, you can't sit down one on one with it with 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 a million people, but you know, there's definitely steps to take. Well, here's the thing. Here's another next question we have for you. Um, can you let our fans know where they can find you at, Matt, as we leave out on the show today? Definitely, definitely. I'd love to. Uh, well, Facebook would probably be the quickest way. Uh, I've actually It's actually set up now where I can, anybody that jumps onto my Facebook page can get the first 20 pages of the book for free. And uh, as a little test drive, and it's at Facebook and the Teen Esteem Machine. And, um, and uh, yeah, come check out the page and, uh, and come get half the book for free. And, uh, you know, if, if if nothing else, uh, you know, send send somebody or send a team there that you know who can get uh, the, the first 15 tools out of the book for free, including the first, including the action guides in the beginning of the book. And, and, uh, well, and yeah, Jay, you can definitely him. send... You, you could send the kid to uh, to the site as well to get that and have him read up on the first twenty pages of the book. You know, well, that's a really okay. great idea, Matt. And we would we will definitely do that. And Matt, as usual, thank you for coming in and sharing yourself with us in so many different ways today, as usual. Very cool. It's been my pleasure. All right. Have a wonderful day, Matt. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Okay. Hey, Jay. I mean, this has been a really good show. I mean. You know, Matt, Matt Farr is giving you advice on with this gentleman that now he can not only, you can go back and share with the gentleman, but he can hear Matt over and over again on the show. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash listen give. Again, folks, that's www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash listen give. And you can hear Matt Forrest talking about the, our American team machine. Team of Steam Machine, I'm sorry, Matt. And Gabrielle Carlson, clothing designer to the stars, and from New York, who hails from South Africa. And the great thing about Gabrielle, if you guys were not lucky to be on with us earlier, is that she came through apartheid, and her father was one of the par- parties on the law team to represent Nelson Mandela. But her father did a lot of other things, and so did her mom, for apartheid. And that's another thing you don't realize. So with that said, Jay, are you ready to take it on out with I Want Your Number? I'm ready to. I want your number. <laughs> I want yours too, Jay. Have a good day, okay. Jay. You too.